Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is week three of our investment series. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan uses the story of Gideon as an example of how we can invest our resources in what God wants for our lives. He challenges us to begin using our time and money to accomplish our God-given purpose. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's Next Steps. Where we're headed today is more along the lines of our resources. What has God given you? What are you holding on to? What are you releasing? Where are you putting your resources? Right? As we said, we all want to see the world change, but very few of us feel that we're the people who are going to make a difference, right? We don't necessarily feel that we're going to be the ones that make the change happen around us. But investing in itself, just that idea of investments, is that you take your resources and it's about making choices to get a return. So I, uh, we were in debt for a, a lot, a lot of years. Uh, uh, some early choices in marriage, which we knew we were going to be able to work out of, till you have medical debt, and that's why I always say, I just don't like debt at all, because you always think you're going to be able to work out of it, and then something happens. And so, um, you know, we're in that for a long time, and then finally got out of debt a couple of years ago, and then have been putting money aside, anything that we get in. We just, we really haven't changed our lifestyle that much, and that's the key, is when you get out of debt, you don't change your lifestyle, and then you just start saving that money instead, or you're putting it to good use. And so at the beginning of this year, we had, a, we had a, a few thousand dollars in the bank account for the first time sitting there. And when coronavirus happened, I was like, the market's going to tank. It's going to tank hard. It's going to tank really, really hard, and then it'll come back up because guess what? It always does. And so I sat there and just kind of watched it and watched it and watched it. Luckily, I wasn't like some of you people who already had money and retirement funds in there. I had nothing. So I didn't lose a dime, so I just waited until it went down to the bottom and then bought in, and now I'm up like 50%. And so guess what? I'm really excited. Next time the market goes down, I'm going to be crying like all the rest of you. But, uh, you know, so I, I sat there and I was like, I finally have something to invest, and, and I'm not, I don't have the time to go like pick stocks and to do everything else, and so I just invested in an S&P fund. So when the market goes this, so does my fund. When it goes like that, their, their mind goes with it. And I just, I just, you know, I made a good investment. It wasn't hard to do. When the, tank, you know, the market loses like half its value, that's a pretty easy time to figure, good time to get in. But we all, right, people want to do that. Some of you watch the stock market a lot, or some of you look for investments, or you look for businesses, you look for quick opportunities. And quick opportunities aren't bad, okay? They're not bad. But you're saying, you know, if I could strike it rich, if I could find that one thing that would really do well, or even if I could just find something that I can invest in slowly over time, but I'm guaranteed that, you know, over 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it'll have a great return that'll bring me what I want. I mean, some of us, we spend a lot of time searching for that. And that's not wrong. Uh, actually, being wise with your money, that's a very good thing. But we all have that idea that we want to take the resources we have and we want to build a better future. We want to have security. We want to see something good come out of it. And what we are not going to do, at least hopefully not going to do, is take your hard-earned resources and then throw it all, put all your chips in on something that is, you know, a 10%, you know, uh, guarantee at best, right? You're not going to take all of your resources and then push them into an investment 
or you know, buy into a company that you think in yourself, man, this could really turn out great, but it's probably going to fail. Everybody else thinks it's going to fail, but I'm the one guy who's putting my money in. Uh, we, we don't do that, right? Hopefully not. If you do, then talk to me afterward. I can't really help you, but I can encourage you to talk to multiple different financial advisors. Uh, but I can tell you, putting your investments in something that you think will fail is a bad idea. But in life, we do that a lot. In life, we take a whole lot of our resources, and mostly when you talk about us and our resources, it's usually our time and our money. You can also just talk about your attitude and and your relationships with other people because that's a great resource too. It's kind of what we talked about last week. But sometimes we take our resources and knowingly put them to things that won't have a return. Now, maybe they'll have a short return, and maybe we'll get to enjoy them for a brief moment, but in the long term, they won't really bring us anything back. I mean, vacations you could call that, right? But vacations aren't necessarily a bad thing. If you got the money to do it, you go on a vacation, you have memories, you enjoy time, you have downtime with your family, or you just kick all them out, and you just go away somewhere by yourself. And uh, either way, you get time off, and sometimes those are very needful things. So, I mean, sometimes we can spend our time and our money on things that don't have a financial investment on the back end, but they're worth doing. That's not what I'm talking about here. And I don't have to get into all the things that we do that are simply a waste of time and don't help us. You can sit here for a second and figure that out on your own. You know, every Sunday morning as I'm getting ready to come here, I usually have my iPhone pops up. That's the day that my reminder comes out, and it tells me my screen time. Was my screen time up this week? Was my screen time down this week? Luckily, your TVs don't do that, unless you've got a very smart TV. Mine's not smart enough to do that. Um, But uh, whether it's your television, whether it's your phone, whether it's some other, uh, you know, activity that you do that's just a time waster and things, you can find many areas of your life where you just pour in that it's just a waste. It just goes away. I'm not talking about the 30 minutes to decompress after, you, after work or the hour just to spend by yourself. I'm talking about blocks and blocks of time and at and moments, blocks and blocks of money and resources after things that don't bring an investment. Now, Gideon is someone we're going to talk about today. Judges chapter 6. It's kind of a different story and a weird story when you look at it in the, in the terms of investing our time and money. But as I've been praying about how to hopefully make this stick a little bit, how to make us realize, you know, what do we find important, his story, it, it just, just kept coming to mind. And so in Judges chapter 6, we're going to start off reading about Gideon. But first, here's a few things about his life. Um, Gideon, and uh, he was often cited as the greatest judge in the Old Testament of Israel, all right? Uh, Deborah was a judge before him, and they had 40 years of peace, and then there were seven years where God allowed them uh, to kind of be taken over uh, by the Midianites. They weren't ruled over. They just constant raiding parties. And then Gideon ruled for 40 years, and they were at peace for the rest of his life after the story that we'll uh, talk about a little bit today. All of his brothers were killed by the Midianites, um, who are his like fourth cousins twice removed or something like that. I don't know. I haven't done the genealogies, but Midian was a son of Abraham uh, from uh, his wife Keturah that he married after Sarah died. And so 
Midian, who became his descendants, were the Midianites, ended up becoming adversaries with the Israelites. And so here they were, your distant relatives, uh, coming in and, uh, and fighting and raiding you. Uh, and that led to kind of seven years of occupation where they would come in and take all their stuff and then go home. And, and you're going to find out if you keep reading in Judges 7 and 8, and we're not going to do that today, but that God used Gideon and put him up as the leader, and he had this army of tens of thousands of men, uh, and God whittled it down to 300 men and used that little army to go in and start the battle and the campaign to defeat an army of 135,000. Now, more men joined in later after the battle was already won, to just wipe them out. But God used him to lead 300 men to take on 135,000 and win. And so this is Gideon. God used him in a great way, right? He would be the, the poster child for somebody that we say, we want to see good things happen. He lets God use him, right? We, we all want to see good things and change happen under the world around us. This guy was used by God to do it, but he was reluctant. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. And they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on drove of cam- droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, and he said... This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and I gave you their land. I told you I'm the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash in the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Which at that point, Gideon looks around because he's not a hero, hasn't done anything heroic, and is hoping to see someone else. Um, verse 13, Sarah Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with strength, uh, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. So, week one, we talked about all of us want to see change, and God tells us to go. God tells us to get busy, He tells us to start doing what we want to see done. Last week, we talked about showing people grace and mercy along the way and investing on our relationships and everything else. And today, I want you to evaluate how you are spending your resources. Today, what I want you to to ask is, is are we looking for the right return, right? 
Are you looking for the right return in life? Are you looking for the right things? And if you are, then are you using your resources wisely? Because in order to invest wisely to get the return that God wants for our life, you have to have both vision and focus. Right? It's kind of like mercy and grace are very similar, but they're different. Vision and focus are the same. And so vision is, you know, is the ability to see and focus is to be able to, to pinpoint clearly. And with us, if you want to invest what God has given you, if you want to take your life and you want to do something with it, you have to have good vision in that you have to see what really brings a good return. You have to understand what does God want for my life and what is important. What is truly important? And once you figure out what is truly important, then the ability to focus on how do I make that happen? How do I look at my life? How do I look at the things I do? How do I look at the choices I make? And are they beneficial or are they detrimental to accomplishing my vision? And so Gideon was just like all the other Israelites, except from what we can tell, he had not really given in to worship of Baal and worship of false idols. And so he wasn't like all the rest of them, except in the terms that he was scared of the Midianites and he was having to hide for his life. Like I said, you'll find out in chapter 8, if you read 7 and 8, that his brothers had already been killed by the Midianites. And so he was fearful, right? And it says that when God spoke to him that he was threshing wheat or taking the wheat and, and the process of, of getting the grain off of the wheat and everything else. And he was doing that in a wine press. Now, I've got a couple of pictures up here just to give you a, a better idea of what a wine press is. Uh, the first one there on the right shows you a little bit, when I say newer, it's not, you know, 3,000 years old. Uh, it's less than 2,000 years old. Uh, wine press there on the right. Uh, but the idea is in, in ancient Israel is you had a, a more shallow area where the grapes would go and that you would stomp it out and you would press it out. And then the juice would flow into different deep cisterns. And so that's how they would you know, press wine. On the next slide actually shows you something probably much more like uh, what they had in the time of Gideon. Um, and this was actually a wine press that was found by some boys who were digging. Um, and uh, found, you know, carved out walls and they ended up excavating it. But there on the top, you see, you know, the shallower area where the grapes would go and that you would press that out. That's not where Gideon was, right? He was in one of those two deep pits that are, you know, partially filled by water here. Uh, he was down there. You can actually see in the one there in the middle on the bottom, the hole coming out where the, the you know, the juice would come out or it'd flow on the top too. But uh, he would be down in the hole and that's where he would be working, he would be threshing wheat down in a hole so they couldn't see him, so they wouldn't even look for him, which does not make your work go well, okay? It's not probably that easy, or at least not efficient, to thresh wheat down in a pit and then to get it out and then to get back down in there and then to do more of that. But that's what he was going about his business doing in order to stay alive. Because Gideon, just like everybody else, had a family to feed, had things to do, had a life he wanted to build for himself, you know, and wanted to move forward with that life, had all of those things that he needed to take care of, and so he was, he was, he was doing his work. 
And so I look at this story of Gideon, and you look at him, and I think it gives me a, a good visual to think about myself. He, just like everybody else, wanted to see the Midianites gone. He wanted to see Israel free. He wanted to see them be able to go about their lives and enjoy it again. He wanted to see the ability to prosper. And he wanted to do all that, but yet he was most concerned on this day and each and every day about taking care of his own. And now that's his responsibility. It's my responsibility too, to take care of my own. I mean, wouldn't this world be a great place if every single person, every single household did their job to take care of their own. I mean, if every single household took care of their own and, and, you know, and did really well at that and everything else, I mean, wouldn't it be great? Well, that's a true statement. But if we focus on that idea, then we can say, well, then my job's take care of my own. And then when people don't take care of their own, I don't have to worry about it. Now, he was down there doing his work, simply focused on what he needed to do that day to keep surviving. What did he need to do that day to provide? What did he need to do that day to be able to build on his future and hope it would get better? But what he wasn't doing was seeking out a way to make the change he desired. We all want to see change. We all want to see great stuff happen. But we usually wait on other people to make it happen. You know, in 1 John chapter 2, it talks about our vision. It talks about whether or not we as individuals are focused on the things that God says bring a great return and that we need to invest in. It says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you have loved the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, never think in the world that myself or any other decently sane-minded preacher is telling us that we need to go through this world and we need to sacrifice anything that's fun. We need to sacrifice anything that's for ourselves. We just need to give all that up and we just need to live almost half monastic lifestyles or ascetic lifestyles where we just don't have anything good at all and it just all gets poured in, right? God never called for that. Um, he never expected that. There's nowhere in Scripture that tells you that that's what life is supposed to be like. Uh, often, uh, you know, and I, and I mentioned Dave Ramsey. I am a Dave Ramsey fan, although I don't follow him, you know, to, to, the, to the letter of the law. But just the concepts that he talks about uh, this, the simple concepts about getting rid of debt, staying out of debt, things like that. And he, very openly, this guy who talks about getting out of debt, says that if you're out of debt and if you're giving to God what you're supposed to give to God, then spend the rest of it on yourself however you want. Right? That's the whole thing is that if you're investing, what you need to invest in God's work, if you're investing in people with your time the way you need to invest your time, if you're serving, if you're giving, if you're doing all of that, then the time that's left over is yours. Spend it how you want and don't feel guilty about it. Know that what you're doing is good. Instead, have you ever been in debt or have you ever, you know, uh, which, I mean, Jessica and I don't have a problem with it, uh, you know, not too much. She's, uh, 
uh, gotten much better about her Amazon purchases, and I don't go buy tools as often anymore. Uh, but those were the two things that we would spend money on. We did, when we got into such debt, start setting those rules about if we're going to spend more than X dollars, and it was like 50 bucks. I mean, it was not a lot. Then again, she just started buying, you know, 10 pairs of $49 shoes. But anyway, so, uh, but you know, if you, if you spent more than this, that we had to talk about it. And if you've ever been at that place where you know you're in debt, but you go and you spend money and you go out to eat when you know you really shouldn't because, I mean, you need to eat at home, you need to pay off debt. Or, you know, if you're married especially and, and you know that y'all are tight this month, but you see something you really want and you know you should talk about it first, or like us, you actually have a household rule to talk about it, and then you don't talk about it, you buy it, and then you hide it. You know, I mean, if you've gone that far ever, which she's done that, I've done that, you know, we've done that. But it always gets seen at some point. So, um, you know, if you've ever done that, then you know what I'm talking about when I say that sometimes we can take our resources and use them when it shouldn't be free to use them. Because we know they should be going somewhere else, right? We know that those resources that we're spending on something frivolous should be going to something needful. Or we know that we had a discussion as a household or as a couple, and we said, we're not going to make these choices without talking about it. You do that, and you say, okay, yeah, that's easy to point out that that's wrong. It's harder for us to constantly think about to ourselves, are we using our time and money in a way where we're confident that we're giving to God what we should And if we're doing that, then we feel free to do the rest. Without guilt, without worry, we can can spend our time, we can spend our resources, our money, however, on all the other stuff because I know that I'm investing in what God has asked me to to bring a return. And so Gideon here wanted to see things happen, and God said, that's great. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. You're my hero. And that's how he started the conversation, right? You are my hero, Gideon. He said uh, there in, um, was it verse 11, uh, verse 12, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. You know, from the very start, God's conversation with Gideon is, you're the person that's going to get this done. And then Gideon, uh, of course, started blaming God that life was hard, blaming God that things hadn't worked out easily, saying, God, aren't you the one that was supposed to make all of this happen and supposed to keep us from all this strain and stress and all of this, you know, hardship? And God said, you know, that's fine. You go with your strength, and I'm sending you. You're going to make it happen. What you are saying you expect out of me, I'm going to make happen through you. That's what life is. That's what life is. Life is difficult, It's not easy. We come up against the hardships. We come up against the frustrations. We come up against the lack of resources that we want or that we believe that we need. We can look at God and we can say, God, you were supposed to make this easier. Aren't you the one that was supposed to take care of all this? And and I'm sitting here just, you know, just trying to mind me and my own, just barely eking things out, and I'm struggling to get things done. And God says, yeah, that's, that's great. I need you to stand up. And to go forward and to make that change happen around you that you so desperately want 
and everybody else so desperately needs. Because that's what God's call to believers is, is for us to go out and to affect the world around us that we want and others need. That's the mission of a church. It's the mission of an individual Christian. We want to see good things happen. The world needs the gospel message. It needs the work of Christ to happen. And God says, yeah, I I don't care how hard things are for you. It's your job. I'm sending you. And that really is the message that we have to adopt. And when I say it's the message we have to adopt, I read multiple Barna studies this week. I'm a stats guy. I'm not going to bore you to tears with them, but I saved all of them. And there's probably a sermon coming in the spring that I'm just warning you is going to have a lot of numbers and charts. Because I just have to do it every so often. I love numbers and charts. But it's not today, so don't get scared. But some of the stats, when you're looking at it, and he, and he evaluates mindset of giving and serving. Uh, and number one, those who give are more likely to serve, and we see that than those people who believe that, um, that an individual can make change happen are the ones who what? Give and serve. The whole mindset of knowing and believing that God's call to us can make a difference, accepting the fact that it's God sending us that is going to make the difference on a personal level, on an individual level, on a church level, on a world level. Accepting that truth of Scripture also helps determine whether or not you're going to get involved, whether or not you're going to do anything about it. Because, right, if you don't think it's going to work, if you don't think you're going to help, if you don't think or if you convince yourself, even worse, we convince ourselves that us giving part of ourselves is not going to really make that big of change, so I'll just hold on to what I have. I'll just keep threshing wheat in the pit. I'll just keep taking care of what I need to take care of because sticking my head out of this is going to make things dangerous for me. You know, we at Pathway, we talk about serving. We talk about serving in church. We talk about serving outside. We talk about finding ways individually or as a small group or other ways to serve people. We try and and take care of our own. We try and take care of others. But when you look at, you know, the things that we talk about are important or that we teach, um, you know, there, there are some, some stats that I saw. We talk about tithing. We talk about giving and, and striving to give uh, 10% of your income. It's what we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and, but if you're unable to do that, we say start somewhere. And that's what I had to do. I mean, I tithed my whole life until... Um, I had, you know, six, eight phone calls a day from creditors and facing bankruptcy. And then for a while I didn't and, uh, because I, I couldn't. And so I gave what I could. And then as we started working out of that, and by working out of that, that meant working a second and a third job to work out of it, um, that I started giving. And it wasn't 10% right away, but it's what I could. And then I grew and then I grew until I got back to where I wanted to be. And it took choices that as I started making my budget better that I didn't start adding more things for me. I didn't go buy all the tools I wanted, and we didn't get to go on all the vacations we wanted. I made the choices to say, until I can invest my time and my resources and my money in the way that I know are going to bring about a return on things that last, then I'm not going to spend any on the things that I want that I know don't last, even though if they're not wrong, but I'm going to take care of those priorities first because the Scripture tells us that 
when we focus on things that way, it usually turns out well. When we don't, it oftentimes doesn't. You know, we're talking at my house about paying off Jessica's car. Talking about paying off her car and everything because, you know, we've got the money set aside for that right now. Um, and uh, we'll save money on interest. And I said, we've got to decide. If we pay that off, are we going to treat savings like a bill to where we put that same amount of money that it's going to a car payment and we put it into savings? Because if we don't, then we're better off leaving that money in the bank and paying interest on a car payment and then not spending it on eating out or clothes or going and doing other things. See, it's a very simple thing, but it's like if I take the resources I have and I release pressure over here, but then I just waste the excess, I waste the $300 a month instead of either saving onto the money that I have or putting more money aside, then it's a bad choice. It's a bad choice. And so we have to decide whether or not we're going to have the vision that what God wants from us is worth it, and then are we going to have the focus to make the hard decisions along the way to make that vision a reality? You know, 80% of people who give to church have $0 in credit card debt. That wasn't us. I mean, we had a ton, a ton, a lot. And we still gave, and we just kept working on it and working on it. But it shows you a picture that it's difficult when you're strapped, right, to see and have the vision and the focus to still give something or even anything because of all that pressure on you that makes you feel like you're down in a pit. On average today, Christians give about 2.5% of their income. In the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. And so I just, I just give those numbers because it's a mindset of giving. When people had even less to deal with or less to do with, they actually gave more than we do now when we really, as a country, we, we don't truly understand what poverty is compared to the rest of the world. We don't. If you've been across different places in the world, you've seen it. I've vacationed and seen poverty. I haven't lived in it. I haven't had to live uh, how people do. Uh, and so it's just when you look at those things as a society, do we have a vision to actually make our time and our money work towards what we say we want? And for Christians, do we truly want to see God's work go forward? We all would like for it to, but are we invested in it? Now, you can always say, anytime a preacher talks about either one of these things, and I don't preach about it much, um, Larry gets on to me that I don't preach about it enough, the rest of the staff agrees with him, but it's because, now I'm about to read some passages and I left some out, because they're extremely self-serving. But I can tell you that, you know, I, I'm not like Paul, I didn't build tents and not take a dime, but... Um, my salary here and everything else, uh, while it's, it's good, it, it's, I could do better, all right? I, I'm not just bragging or saying anything. I'm just saying I'm here because I want to be here. I serve because I want to serve. And I'm telling us that we need to give because God wants us to give. And because I see where that goes more than anybody else, I see how people have given through a very difficult time during this pandemic, and I see how we've been able to use that to help families in our congregation that are struggling. I've seen how we've been able to take that and to help people 
that needed to pay a utility bill or needed food or needed something, right? I see where people sacrificially giving goes more than anyone else. And so I, I don't hold back when I tell you that it's worth it. I can also tell you the number of nights that I stay up here and when Dom joked about driving by at two in the morning and seeing me up here, I'm not seeing up here like practicing preaching or something like that. I don't know if you've seen the old Footloose movie. That, that doesn't work with me. That doesn't happen. Uh, I'm usually up here because I'm fixing something so we don't have to pay a plumber or electrician to do it, right? I'm usually up here doing things like that. Why? Because I want that money to go towards the gospel or to go to helping somebody. And so I tell us that we need to give and we need to serve because I know how it helps. I know where it goes. And I also know the number of gospel conversations that myself, other people on staff, that small group leaders, that Pathway Kids leaders, that individuals in this church have because of the contact that they make through the ministry that we do here at Pathway. And I know that's the same at countless other churches too. I'm not saying we're special. I'm just saying that if this is your place to worship and serve, then worship and serve here, and part of that is also giving. Judges chapter 6, in verse 25, we see what God asked of Gideon. That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take a second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants, did as the Lord had commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down, that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. In verse 30, it says, bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal, for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, why are you defending Baal? You will not argue his case. Or will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. And from then on, Gideon was called Drew Baal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. And Drew Baal was not like a, a, a sign of pride, right? A sign of, ooh, that's a, that's a badge to wear, like, you know, if you're, uh, you know, don't... I forget who I was talking about this week, but it wasn't William Wallace called Braveheart. It was Robert the Bruce. I hear about it all the time in my house because, like, my wife is, like, descended from him and stuff like that, and they call themselves royalty. Anyway, they killed William Wallace. I saw it in a movie. Um, but it's not like a cool nickname like Braveheart, right? It's not a cool nickname like a sports guy gets and, uh, like, uh, Kenny Hamlin was the hammer for the Razorbacks because, man, he's just, as a safety, just just come in and just take people out. Um, you know, it's not a cool nickname. His nickname was, Baal's probably going to kill this guy. We're, we're not going to kill this guy because his dad, Joash, kind of shamed us, but we're waiting until Baal kills this guy. Let Baal defend himself. See, Gideon was down, minding his own business, taking care of his own, 
just trying to hold on to his life. And his life was a lot more strenuous and a lot more risk of losing it all than ours. And he's trying to just hold on to it. And God says, okay, you want to see good things happen. I'm calling you to do it. You're my hero. And guess what? The first thing I'm going to ask you to do, people aren't going to like. It's not going to be widely accepted. So here it is. If you want to make change around you, if you want to make good things happen, now, luckily, if God's asking you to serve other people, they're generally going to like it. And if you give to a church, if you give to the Lord's work, people usually aren't going to be angry about it. Although the number of conversations around a, a dinner table at home may be difficult when you're talking about budgets and you're talking about giving and you're talking about doing things like that because it requires sacrifice. So you may have trouble in your own house. And those are hard discussions. We've had them in our house, all right? Are we ready to give more? Are we not? And, uh, you know, and things like that. Those aren't easy, but they're necessary. And it was necessary for Gideon to step out and to start taking care of things at his own home, at his father's house, and tearing down that idol and cutting down that tree if he was going to be able to do anything else for God. So, we want to see change around us, right? We want to invest in this world. We want to go out and do good. We first have to start investing our resources of our own in the way that God has said. It's got to start with us. It's got to start at home because if it doesn't start there, then he's not going to send us with 300 to beat 135,000. He's not going to send us to, to bring in 40 years of peace. He's not going to do those things until we are willing to stick our neck out and say, Okay, I'm taking care of it here first. You know, I want to close up this morning and close up in uh, Hebrews chapter 13. It says in verses 5 and 6, and it's, it's Paul's, he's closing his letter to the, to the Hebrews, and he says, Don't love money, be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear what can mere people do to me? The next verses talk about watching out for false teachers. Then some very great verses talk about honoring your leaders and about how awesome they are, especially pastors and faithful, stuff like that. I left those out. Like I said, there's, I could go to some verses and make them very self-serving. But uh, So you can go back and read Hebrews 13. Read slow. Read it often. Anyway. But then in verse 15, he picks back up. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. He also talks about honoring marriages. He talks, I mean, it's, his, it's the end of his letter, so he's getting all of his last hits in, right? And what are some of the things in his last chapter where he's giving them the end of the story, and what is he telling them? He says, don't love money, but be satisfied with what you have. Let God be the one that you count on, just not yourself. Therefore, let us offer a continual sacrifice of praise to God, and then don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. So, manage your resources financially. Give to God what's his and, and, and be satisfied with the rest. Praise God continually. Serve and give to help others. These are the sacrifices that please God. He closes that in verses 20 and 21 and it's his kind of personal prayer for them. 
And he says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. So that's our question today. Do we look and understand what our vision is for life? Can we see what's important? Are we making wise decisions about what's important? Nice house, that's fine. Vacations, time off, things like that. Even all the tools I want. One day, one day, I'm going to switch from like Harbor Freight, and it's going to be like all snap-on tools. But that day's a long way off, all right? But I'm working toward that, but I can't justify that until I got everything else taken care of. But when I do, it's going, to be, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a sight to see. That's fine. All those good things to enjoy in life are fine, as long as we're investing what God wants us to invest in Him, in His work, and in the people around us. We do that, then we can take joy in using the rest of it freely however we want. And so, here is His prayer to them, that may God produce in you through the power of Christ every good thing that is pleasing to Him. As our worship team comes forward and we wrap up this morning, you know, it, a sermon like this I understand, and I know going in, that it's like, ah, oh, man, he's trying to twist the arm. He's trying to get me to do something. He's trying to do something like that. That's what I do every week. Ask yourself this question. On the weeks that I'm talking about being saved to a person who is here that might not have trusted in Christ as Savior, or in the weeks that I'm talking to us about serving other people or serving within the church, or the weeks that I'm talking about sharing the gospel in our community, or the weeks that I'm talking about learning more about Scripture through, through prayer and study, why on those weeks, when I guarantee you I am probably trying to twist your arm more, do we not feel it? But on the weeks we talk about time and money, we all feel it. Every time. Gospel, serving, sharing, helping, learning, praying. It doesn't, it doesn't hit us as hard. But I guarantee you, I spend more time in prep that week figuring out how to make it connect and how to make it twist than I do on this week. This week, I actually, I try to play it down. And still, it always feels worse and feels like a harder arm twist when we talk about time and money. It's not my fault, trust me. Except it's my fault when I feel it's worse. It's our fault that it mean, that means so much to us that that's what hits us when the others don't. We have a problem that we have to deal with all the time. We need to think about it, we need to realize it, we need to have the vision and then have the focus to address it. Thank you for listening. We invite you to take some next steps this week. One, does your use of God's blessings show your gratitude to Him? During this Thanksgiving season, what could you dedicate back to God as an act of service? Two, examine and pray about your financial giving. Where are you investing your treasure? Three, for the next week, pick one new thing to thank God for each day in prayer. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect. 